Welcome to another 3ND show. I'm Mark King. And uh, man, what a past past few days it's been for the Grizzlies. Here I was just last week on the on the show talking about how I didn't think we would have enough things to talk about because the Grizzlies kept losing and kept uh, being terrible. And here, the past 48 hours for the Grizzlies have been uh, quite a whirlwind. Uh, we'll go through that. We've got a big show for today. We're going to go through all the things that have happened in the past couple hours. We're going to hear from Marc Gasol, kind of the comments that spurred everything. Uh, if you if you don't know already, the Grizzlies have released, uh, have relieved uh, uh, Coach David Fisdale, head coach of the Memphis Grizzlies, have an uh, interim coach tag on J.B. Bickerstaff. They did that uh, Monday afternoon. Today's recording this on Tuesday. So uh, it's been a quite a crazy past few days for the Grizzlies. So if you said, if you don't already know, that's happened. Uh, Marcus all had some crazy comments, not crazy comments, but he had some comments that made, made a point uh, about David Fisdale on Sunday night's game. Uh, David feels like said the same. So we're going to go through all those. Uh, we're going to talk about everything, kind of what led up to it, answer some questions. And then, we're also going to be joined by a special guest. Uh, we're going to be joined by Grizzly Bear Blues site manager, uh, my boss, uh, Joe Molinux, here in, the, uh, here in a little bit. So uh, whenever he calls into the show, we'll get him on and, and we'll get his thoughts on uh, what happened with uh, what happened with Mark Gasol, what happened with Coach Fisdale, how that's happened over uh, the past couple of years. He's been covering it for quite a while. So we're going to get all his thoughts and kind of where the Grizzlies go from here. But uh, uh, if you don't already follow the show, follow the show on Twitter at 3ndpod. You can catch a show from all of our places to watch or to listen. You can uh, listen from the grizzlybearblues.com website. We post the show there every time we uh, every time we have one. Uh, but the easiest way is just subscribe to our iTunes feed in iTunes 3nd podcast. There, it's easy to search, easy to find. But uh, let's let's move on. Let's get right into it. I want to talk about. First of all, this 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 thing that is 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 been a whirlwind for the Grizzlies the past couple of days. So Sunday night, the Grizzlies play the Nets. It's been so long ago; I don't even feel like I remember who they played. Sunday afternoon, they played the Nets, and the Grizzlies uh, they played okay in the first half. Uh, Chandler Parsons was playing great. Everybody was you know moving about. Now the bench was being terrible again. They had like seven. I think I tweeted they had like seven points in the half between like all the bench, not people, not named Marcus all uh, Tyreek Evans, Chandler Parsons, Dylan Brooks, maybe, you know, it was about four or five guys on the bench that had seven points between them, you know, just people just weren't contributing, but they still were tied at halftime uh, and against the Nets team. But you thought, yeah, you should win. They were, they were six and 11 or six and 12 or something like that. You know, these are people you think you should beat most, most definitely. So Going into the halftime, I felt pretty good about it, and then uh, the third quarter came around, and the and the Grizzlies just came out, and they just they looked like crap. I mean, they they did not play well. They stopped playing defense. They just they just went back to their old ways. When they went back to the the things they've been doing the past seven games, they just didn't didn't play together, didn't play defense, and you could tell you could tell from the start of the of the third quarter that it was going downhill, and it went downhill quick. They got down big, um, and then. I think there was like four and a half minutes left in the third quarter, and um, Marcus All came out of the game. Marcus All comes out of the game and does not return. So that's weird. And he, the coach Fizdall had a lineup in there. I don't honestly don't even remember what the lineup was. 
but the lineup included Deontay Davis at the five, which would be obviously Mark's spot. So they got the they got the game down to like five, and I think they I think the Nets called a timeout then. It was it was it was they were down five, and that would be I thought would have been the normal entrance for Marcus All, and he didn't just. He just never came back in. So I, I think we all thought there people there that were covering the game, myself included, that there was that was obviously very odd that you know midway to the fourth fourth you know that first part of the fourth quarter is when Mark usually returns, and he didn't. And we all thought that was kind of odd. It was really weird. And then he actually got up at one point and kind of like looked at Fisdale and then just kind of went back to a seat and kind of slumped down and that was that was it and so immediately that's kind of the only thing people talked about in in, in post game and people asked Fizdale about it and we'll actually we can play the quote for you but we asked Fizdale about it and then he just said he was taking a gamble and he thought that that was the the you know the the, the lineup that had got cut it to five was the best chance for them to win that they were trying to win ball games and you know it struck me as odd when he said it. It still strikes me as odd now that he would even do that, that he would say that. You know, if if you're trying if your goal is to win and your goal is to have the best chance to win, then Marcus All is your best chance to win. Uh, you can think whatever you want to think about Marcus All. If you want to think he's not aggressive enough, if you want to think that he's not an all star, you can you can think whatever you want about Marcus All. But in that situation, right then and there, with Deontay Davis in the ballgame, and if the lead is at five, that's your best chance to win, putting Marc Gasol back in the ballgame. And I just didn't get it. I just I didn't get it then when he first said it. I still don't get it now. Because, like I said, if if your whole justification for not, for not putting Marc Gasol back in the ballgame is to win the ballgame, then... That that doesn't even that doesn't make sense to me. Because the best justification you have for that is to put Marcus all back, put your best players back in the ballgame. Because what you had in there was like um what you had in there was like Deontay Davis and uh I don't know, a few other people. I know Tyreek was out there. I can't remember for Dylan I don't think Dylan Brooks was out there either. But it was like Deontay, uh Tyreek maybe Andrew Harrison. It was a lineup that just wasn't very good. And, um, you know, it, it doesn't make sense. You know, like I said, if, if you want to win the game, then you put your best people out there. You put your best foot forward. And, and that just wasn't it to me. Like I said, even, even if you could think whatever you think about Marcus All, but that's just, that's not it. And then we all proceeded to go to the locker room and talk to Marcus Saul about it and you know it was weird it was he didn't take long to come out um but uh he had a lot to say and he normally you know Mark normally talks for two or three minutes just like every player they all talk for new you know two to three minutes and then they go we all move to the next player we all you know listen we all do our recordings tweet whatever and then that's it we move on and so after that uh but Marcus, I think he talked for like I want to say like twelve or thirteen minutes. It was a long time, like way longer than way longer than he normally talks. So I mean, it was it was very clear to me, and I know it was very clear to everybody there, 
And you can hear this in all the recordings and all the, you know, all the quotes that he wanted his message out there. He wanted to be very clear that he wanted to be heard and what he had to say. And he wanted people to know what he had to say. You know, he said it calmly, he said it collected, but he still said things that were just, you know, very struck. Everybody is very odd. Um, and the biggest quote for him is that he, he wanted to uh, feel valued, which was uh, very odd that he, <laughs> it did, you know, that he didn't feel valued and that he wasn't going to take it lying down. So those things were just really, really strange from, from the get go starting off on Sunday night. And then not even 24 hours later, you have him fired. You have, you have coach David Fisdell fired. So it's been a weird couple of days, but, uh, it's been very, very strange with the Grizzlies, but uh, I just I just saw uh, Joe Mullenix happen on our site manager for Grizzly Bear Blues. I'm going to bring him on. What's going on, Joe? Not too much, man. I tell you what, uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be on the podcast. Finally, I know I, I we we I haven't said this yet. I've been I've been talking for. 10 or 12 minutes now, and I haven't said this yet, but we've been trying to get you on for so long. I mean, our schedules have been crazy. You were coaching football, winning football games. It's been, uh, it's been a crazy, but I'm, I'm glad you took the time out. Thanks for, thanks for coming on, man. And, of course, you know, finally football season ends for me, and the Memphis Grizzlies decide to lose their mind and, and various other podcasts, and, and the site did very well the past you know, 24 hours or so covering all the, all the different angles and and now, finally, you know, going into Wednesday, it'll be back to basketball, and we can move forward as best we can from whatever the heck uh, was the the Fisdale firing into what the rest of the season will look like for Memphis. And you know, the first game of the Picker the Pickerstaff era is against San Antonio Spurs. I'm sure uh, I'm sure he's excited about going against Pop in his first game as the head man in Memphis. Well, it surely doesn't make it any easier. That uh, that's that's for certain. But I want to get your uh, – I have kind of went through how the past couple of days have gone for the Grizzlies, talk about the press conference and, uh, and, and kind of what I thought. But I want to get your thoughts right off the bat uh, from this firing. Uh, there's so many things to talk about here. But I just want to know uh, – I know this struck everybody, obviously, as a surprise. But uh, does, it, does, it, does it really surprise you given the fact you – know, given the relationship between Mark Gasol and David Fisdale? It surprises me that they did it so abruptly. Uh, to be honest with you, I, you know, obviously us at GBB, we we pride ourselves on covering the team, but we also aren't, you know, a beat reporter. We're not somebody on the ground there daily. You know, Mark, you do a great job covering the games for us. It's not like we have extensive inside sources. Uh, you can watch from afar and you can see that there was tension there. You know, obviously in the aftermath of this firing. You see the, oh, well, they haven't liked each other for a while, and, you know, all the things that maybe were off the record are now coming to light a little bit more. Uh, but at the same time, you you don't think that they'll make that kind of a move that abruptly, and, and they did. They made that choice. I think Fisdale forced their hand a little bit. Uh, whatever issues there were, like I said, I think it was, it was kind of an open secret, so to speak. You know, it wasn't really spoken of. Uh, there's probably a reason that the Grizzlies have struggled, you know, get, dating all the way back to after the all-star break last year. Uh, I think that tension has had an impact on the roster. Obviously the roster overturn has been big. And, and when your common denominator is Marcus Gasol, and he, he's the guy that you're depending on to be relevant in the Western conference, you can't do what David Fisdale did. 
and that doesn't make it right that he got fired. And that doesn't mean that David Fisdale is a bad basketball coach. I think he's going to be very good down the road. Uh, clearly, players love him as the, the response that you saw from the NBA community uh, in the wake of the move. It was pretty amazing to me. You know, you would expect guys like LeBron and Dwayne Wade, who have played for him as an assistant uh, when he was at Miami, to kind of step up and say, this is crap. You know, Vince Carter made a point to come out and say that was crap. And Isaiah Thomas, you know, other players that weren't necessarily directly connected to Fisdale, who respected him as a coach. You know, that, that's a skill. You alluded to earlier, I'm, I'm a football coach by trade, obviously on a much smaller scale. But the really good coaches are ones that are able to develop those relationships. That's not something that everybody can do. And Fisdale has that ability with these NBA players to be able to make those relationships, apparently not with Marcus Gasol, but uh, in terms of other pieces and other places, he's going to find a place that's maybe a, more, a better fit for him in terms of roster, and he's going to flourish there. I think that he had rotation issues. Uh, I think that he had schematic issues. The, the defensive scheme in particular was struggling at times to be executed. On offense, there's a lot of standing around in pick-and-roll isolation type of situations. He was not perfect, but you know the abruptness of the firing, the, the coincidental timing going along with you know the benching of Mark and the comments in the press conference, uh, or the, the after-game comments, excuse me, before the firing. Just so much, like you said, so many layers to this. And, and I think the most frustrating thing is, you know, like I mentioned, I've been on other podcasts. We have the roundtables at GBB. We've done a lot of different stuff. You can cover this from any angle you want unless you are one of those, you know, Jeff Calkins, Kevin Leip, uh, Chris Harrington, somebody who has a source who's directly within the organization, and, and they're never going to be able to tell it. Very few people are going to know exactly what went down in this situation that got them to this point. But I do think one thing is clear, the, the relationship between Fisdale and Mark just was not it was beyond repair and it had to be rectified if your goal is to try to fix this season and save it as best you can because believe it or not as of this recording the memphis grizzlies are only about two games out of the eighth seed in the western conference even with everything that has happened and i think that's part of their logic they think this season can be saved but they had to do something at least in the eyes of the front office they had to do something and fisdale was the something that had to give yeah, it, this season is definitely not over, and it's long. It's you know, it's 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 long. It's a long season, that's for sure. Um, but you mentioned, you know, it's November. <laughs> exactly. There's a there's a long way to go here, and so, um, you know, there's a lot to a lot to left to be decided for sure. Uh, but you mentioned Mark. You know, he. I, I think I tweeted this earlier today that you know he's one of the only common denominators in a lot of these coaching changes that. You know he's he's the one that's really unhappy, uh, really unhappy here, and he seems to be be like the one that, you know, obviously we're never gonna like you said we're never gonna be able to prove like yes he called Para or he texted Para and said hey I don't want this guy out, but you know it, you know there is definitely some you know he said that he said the things, uh you know uh, Fizdale benched him he said the things and then Fizdale's fired so you know two plus two equals four sometimes, uh, as Peter Edmondson would say so like I I get it but. Do you think that Mark is a coach killer? I mean, he he is the only like I said he is the only common denominator here. I know there are other problems. I know the biggest common denominator is the front office. But do you think Mark is more difficult to work with than any other, any other franchise player? 
in the entire NBA, no. I would say, I would say in in the NBA, you still have guys like a LeBron James, who's essentially the general manager of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, I, I would, I would say he's more challenging. But I do think Mark is underrated, not necessarily as a coach killer. You know, I, I'm a believer in the idea that you can you can save yourself as a coach, but at the same time, you have to be malleable. And what I mean by that is you don't necessarily change your philosophy. I think David Fisdale is a man of philosophy. You, you can kind of see that in his social activism and the way that he carried himself while he was in Memphis. Uh, you know, he, he was a man of belief and culture, and he thought that it was a winning culture that needed to be developed in a way that you did things, not just on the court but off. And I think that one of the divides and one of the most telling quotes uh, from that post-game interview with Mark was saying how he didn't think the benching would have happened to Mike if it were Mike in that situation. I think Fisdale viewed Mike as the kind of leader that he wanted in this organization. He hoped Mark could be that, and Mark was never going to be that. Those of us that have been fans of this team or you know, followed the team, covered the team, whatever it may be, that's not Mark's personality. That's just not him. His definition of being a leader is helping the young guys, uh, trying to be more positive. I think a fair critique of him in the past is he gets so frustrated and so angry and, and he, he's hard on his teammates. But I think this year there has been an effort for him to try to be better with guys like Deontay Davis. And he, he understands that a young rookie like Dylan Brooks is going to make mistakes. Uh, so it's not to say that Marcus Gasol isn't a leader. I don't think that he was the type of leader that David Fisdale wanted. Mike Conley is. Uh, Marcus Gasol is not. And those personalities just didn't jive. And you can say the same thing about Dave Yeager. You can say the same thing about Lionel Hollins. You know, Marcus Gasol is kind of an acquired taste in terms of how he is. And you could have said the same thing about Pow 10 years ago. Uh, a similar situation in terms of how he viewed the game, how he viewed his role and what he was supposed to be in the organization. Uh, I don't think Mark is a coach killer. I think that Fisdale, part of being a head coach is managing personalities. And Mark, I do think, has a challenging personality. But the great ones, the Popoviches of the world, I mean, he had Dennis Rodman on his team, for God's sake. And you look at Phil Jackson and you, 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 when he was a coach, not necessarily GM Phil Jackson, but uh, – or excuse me, GM, yeah, GM Phil Jackson, but Coach Phil Jackson, you know, he had Rodman, he had Jordan, and the ego maniac that he was. You have all sorts of different kinds of personalities that you have to kind of get to click and work well together, or at the very least be able to coexist so that they can, you know, achieve whatever the goal may be for that group of players. And that's hard, you know. I, I think beyond. X's and O's, you know, it, it's those Jimmys and Joes. It's it's the guys on the court and whether or not they will play together, play for each other, the day-to-day ins and outs, traveling together. You know, we forget there's a very human element. We tune in at, you know, 7 o'clock Central Time and watch the basketball game for two to two and a half hours. We're not privy to the pack practices or the plane rides. But we don't see those daily things that – really make up a relationship between a player and coach and that is where games more often than not are won and lost sometimes in those practices in those film sessions in those times where a player okay gets to understand that a coach cares about them that a coach sees something the, the way that they do 
that's hard. I, I say that again on a much smaller scale. As a coach, it's, it's hard to make those connections sometimes. And we thought that was the strength of Fisdale, but when you have so much invested in Marc Gasol, if you're going to be that far gone, that publicly far gone now, as I mentioned earlier, maybe it was one of the best kept, un, uh, the best kept secrets in Memphis. Uh, but now that it was public, it, there was really no return from that for him. And I don't know that makes Mark a, a coach killer, uh, but I do think it shows that Mark has a challenging personality, and Fisdale wasn't able to overcome it. You mentioned the the quotes that he had. I just I want to play this for everybody. Uh, that that one you were talking about, that's post game quote, and then uh, we'll talk about it. You know, I believe in this guy, so I got to continue to do that, and, uh, and and I thought I was doing that. And so then, with, with that being said, I mean you you have these young guys that you have to mentor in that same way, and you have to do it you know from the bench. You lead by to. example. I always led by example. Back to my here, and I start venting and uh, and and go off and, and just. Um, that would be kind of productive. I won't be leading by example, right? That would be the complete opposite. Um, obviously, like I said, I, at the end of the day, I'm just competitive as anybody. I, I, I hate not playing, and, and that's what I value the most. If I'm not on the floor, it means I'm not, I'm not uh, valued, and uh, and that you know, they, I'm, I'm sure they know that would hurt me the most. So, um, do you feel like is there communi- is the communication? Does it have to be where these messages are sent in this way rather than... I don't send messages to you guys. I, I no, 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 I'm saying, no, no, I'm saying, but to you via not playing or something to that effect, as opposed to another way, you know, and, and you, you've said that you, you know, it's, it's something that you have to, you knew it would, they knew it would hit you where it hurt. I mean, anybody, right? right? I mean, right, you don't put Mike back at the end of the game, I'm sure they wouldn't do it to Mike, but, uh, I don't know, it's, it's just the way it is, you, and you have to deal with it, and, uh, I will, I'm not just gonna lay down and, and, and take it. And uh, the biggest thing I took from that is is, is like is, is, is the part you mentioned earlier that he wasn't gonna lay down and take it. And the other thing that kind of stuck out to me is that he, you know, he felt undervalued or, um, you know, they they knew that would hurt him. Um, and so my question to you is, do you think that Fizdale knew? I mean, I I think I'm of the I'm of the mind. I know he thinks he had to know what he was doing by sitting Mark on the fourth quarter. Um, do you think that as well? I think he was trying to send a message. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, reports have come out in the days or the hours, I guess. Now it's, it feels like days, but it's only been uh, about a day and a half, I guess, uh, since the decision was made public. Um, I think he, he – maybe he knew that he was, he was on a, a thin rope Maybe he knew that if the Nets game went poorly, he, he could potentially have been let go. He, he'll never say that publicly because he's a class act. Uh, again, I, I said on Twitter, you, you can't leave a place, even in controversial situations, uh, better than the Fisdales have done it uh, in terms of thanking the organization, thanking the city. You know, they've been classed the entire process, leaving, uh, leaving the organization. Uh, but I think he... He wanted to send a message. You bench your best player in that situation saying that something is not enough. Uh, the unique thing about this situation, and it goes back to personality, uh, Marcus Gasol, you can make an argue, he's age, argument. He's aging. He's not capable of doing what the team needs him to do, especially with Mike Conley out. He's not that guy who, who can carry a team at this stage in his career. That's possible. I think you can make you know, statistically eye test, however you want to measure it, Mark has been struggling during this losing streak. There's no denying that. 
but at the same time, he's still your best basketball player. And you, you, when you bench him, you are making it known that either you're not happy with his play, which I, I think there is some grounds for, but you, you were, you were in the game, you were in the game, you were in the, in the thick of it, and you don't play your best guy. So there's something more there, and I, and I think that that is, you know, that's where Fisdale really makes the mistake. Is now you are making known, and you had to know Mark was going to respond. And you, you had to know that Mark, with the relationship he has with owner Robert Para, you know, whether he directly messaged him or not, you know, Para's not stupid. He, he has people, even when he's not there, he has people that are letting him know what's happening or he is directly understanding what's going on in that organization or has somebody that is his direct line to that organization. He could be in Japan. He could be in California, wherever he's at. Uh, he, he's got those connections and it was going to be Mark or Fisdale, and if, if that was the way it was going to go, they were going to pick Mark. If Fisdale's not stupid, he had to know that. So maybe he saw the writing on the wall. That was his last stand. He was making it known that he wasn't happy with the way things had gone, with Mark kind of being that leader. And maybe he you know, went down like, like the, uh, the band on the Titanic. Maybe he went down playing uh, his best tunes. But it had to be known that there was at the very least going to be direct consequences. And as I've said on other podcasts, if you're choosing between a franchise center, who again, you could argue is fading and and not as effective as he has been, you have so much money and so much time invested in him. It's easier to part with the coach. It just is. And that's the nature of the beast in the NBA. Those players have so much more power and control, whether it be through the union or whether it be through the fact that they're individuals more than, say, in a sport like football, that they, they have that impact and they have that ability to, to make that sort of connection to an owner, make that connection to a general manager. Coaches really don't have as much imp- influence unless your last name is a Popovich or, or somebody like that. Talking with Joe Mellon, site manager for Grizzly Bear Blues, uh, my boss over there at GBB. And, um, you know, I thought oh, it was... I'm not anybody's boss. <laughs> uh, I thought it was odd. We're uh, <laughs> What I thought was the weirdest thing, Joe, was um, whenever Fisdale came out in his, his post presser and said that, uh, you know, he just wanted to have the best, the, the best chance to win. And... That struck me as odd. It, when I sat there, it struck me as odd. Like I, I don't, that doesn't make sense because Deontay Davis is on the floor, Mark's on the bench. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense at all. Um, so it was very strange to me that he even went with that. Like that's the line I'm going with. Like, you know, that's the best chance to win. I'm taking a gamble. Well, you know, your best chance to win, whatever you think about Mark, and that's probably a different conversation of what you think about Mark and and if he's you know he's as good a player as he once was or if he has ever been a good player and there's you know now this this whole thing has become a referendum on, on Mark the player and probably rightly so he's 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 you know he has to take a lot of the blame here of putting the attention on himself but uh nonetheless I, I thought it was very odd that he stuck to that reasoning that this was his best chance to win which just uh doesn't make sense your best chance to win is with your best players on the floor um did that strike you as strange as well, that that's kind of what he went with? To me, it's more evidence that he kind of saw the writing on the wall. Right. His it, best chance to win in terms of his philosophy. And and that's kind of what I took away from it. 
is he understood what was probably about to happen to him. And it was another kind of shot across the bow in terms of my best chance to win is by instilling a culture in this place where people come in and they buy into what we do as an organization. And Mark had no desire in being a part of building that. Mark Gasol wants to play great basketball. I'm not, again, not saying he doesn't want to be a leader, but his form of leadership, and you heard that in the quotes that you played, he wants to compete. He wants to play. He wants to be involved in the on-the-court product and making that as good as it can be. Fisdale, obviously, as a coach, you, you focus on that stuff schematically, but he also, you know, whether it's remodeling the locker room, putting the posters or the pictures of the players in the hallways, you know, having motivational quotes. He believed in building a culture, and I think the fact that Mark wasn't interested in building that culture as much as, you know, just let's keep it to basketball, those philosophical differences, I mean, you can have those with people in any walk of life. You know that, Mark, and I'm the same way in my profession. Hell, even on in GBB, there's different types of writers, different types of personalities. We've had different people write for us over the years that don't necessarily match up with my philosophy on life or the way that I view things, but that doesn't make their, you know, the way that they do it wrong. It's just different, and I think that when you have those two different kind of conflicting views on how to build a winning basketball organization, something has to give at some point, and it sounds like maybe there were issues at practice and it got personal. I don't know. Like I said, we'll probably never know the full extent of how sour the relationship got. But to me, that comment was more an overarching, Mark is not buying into what I want to do. Not necessarily in terms of, again, there's different kinds of leadership. Fisdale wanted to build something that Mark was maybe not as interested as investing in, and that's where the disconnect was. And it did kind of come down to, you know, Mark saying, this is not acceptable. I'm not going to take this lying down, not playing. He, like you said, he, he knew it would hurt him, so to speak. And maybe Fisdale either had to know that this was coming or he was betting on himself, thinking that the Grizzlies were going to have his back. And, and they did. It's one of those two. And like I said, Fisdale is not stupid. I think it's more the former than the latter. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're totally right on. I think. I think you're. You're spot on there. And I. I talked about this the other night, and you and I talked to this right after the game. That uh, you know the Grizzlies were. It felt that night felt like Mark was just done. I mean, he. It. He didn't say anything like that. He didn't act like that. I've been. A, this is my first year in the locker room, so I haven't done a lot of these. Uh, but I have been around a lot of professional players in my profession in different capacities. But you know, he. It just felt like he was just so sick of it. Um, you know, and the Grizzlies, like you said, the, I tweeted this out that they was going to have to make a decision. I thought it would, I didn't think it was come as, as abrupt. Like you said, I did not think it would come on Monday, but I thought it would come to a head sooner rather than later that the Grizzlies were going to have to make a decision, either Fizdale or Mark. And, and like you alluded to earlier in the, in the, in the show that, you know, these players, again, you think whatever you think of Mark, but he's your franchise player. He's your cornerstone. They have a lot more money invested in him than they do in a coach. And frankly, it's easier to find uh, a be- another coach than it is a seven-foot center that's been an all-star. So, like, you know, uh, they're always probably going to side with those players because it's it's harder to replace them than it is the coach. But I, I do want to move on a little bit um, and-, and talk about something from a different perspective. But what at what point uh, do we 
at what point do does everybody do we have to start asking questions about the, I know we we talk about the front office all the time but like this is now three coaches this is now I mean first round draft I mean this is just a, a, a clear cut like it's been going badly for so long um I don't know do we see Chris Chris Wallace finish out the year here I I, I personally don't think so but you know he's been here for so long that I don't know anymore Chris Chris Vernon, uh, back before he was at Grind City Media and he had his radio show, wildly popular, all that stuff, you know, Wallace would come on and he would do radio spots. And when I would listen, when I lived in Memphis, I would drive around doing my errands, whatever, uh, during the summer, and Wallace would come on and they'd shoot the breeze and all that. And it was one of my favorite segments I've ever heard on sports radio. You know, Vernon had a great rapport with, with Wallace. And something that he said has stuck with me, and I wrote about it earlier uh, for the site. Uh, he, he, he's kind of like the cockroach of the NBA, and that's Chris Vernon's words. And I, 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 that really resonated with me. He, Wallace survives. Wallace is an NBA survivor. He finds ways to get into the cracks and the crevices, and, and whether it's avoiding blame or getting fired and then being brought back. If there was an NBA nuclear winter, Wallace would still be there, and he'd probably get one of the first GM jobs when the league restarted because he, he just knows how to survive. Uh, my thought with Wallace is he is still there because of a variety of things, but the idea of stability, you know, and, and again, saying, I'm saying in the press conference on, uh, on Tuesday now uh, that, that they were a stable organization. That made me laugh when I heard it. Um, but he gives an aura, I guess. Maybe that's not even the right word. Uh, the, the facade, maybe, is a better way to put it, of stability. He is somebody that can run the organization in a day-to-day way that I think Robert Parra trusts. Because we forget in, in the chaos that has been this head coaching change, we're, we're going through ownership questions. I mean, Robert Parra's stake as the majority owner of the Grizzlies is coming up here. Like that's in, not necessarily in question. It's going to be the ball in, in Paris court, but there's potential for this organization to go through even grander scale uh, change and grander dysfunction. And to me, letting go of Wallace would just kind of send things into a tailspin right now. But the easiest thing to do, and this is what's likely going to happen, is you, you make the move that you do to get rid of Fisdale, you hold on to Wallace at least while that ownership stuff plays out because you're trying to salvage this season. You know, J.B. Bickerstaff's coming in to try to salvage this season. Like we mentioned earlier, the Grizzlies are only two games or so out of the eight seed. Mike Conley comes back in the next couple of weeks. You keep Gasol healthy and Parsons healthy and, and Tyreek Evans and Jermichael Green. Those guys will go on a run if they're all able to actually be on the basketball court together because they're good basketball players. And the Grizzlies with Gasol and Conley at the helm, they're a 7 or 8 seed in the West. They're 42 and 40. I still believe that, even with everything that has transpired. And, and you know, I was uh, doing the uh, NBA Baseline podcast, and they were talking about, oh, well, that's sad if that's your goal. Well, people have to understand, look at the assets that the Grizzlies have. It's not like a full-blown tank is something that you should be interested in because you don't have your 2019 first-round pick. You, you'll have your 2018 one. You, you can maybe get one lottery pick. But in order to truly tank that this year, you'd have to get rid of Gasol at the very least. And like we mentioned earlier, that's easier said than done. 
Chris Mannix, I think, today on 92.90 ESPN talked about getting two first-round picks from Marcus Saul. That's insane. I don't know. If that were actually true and somebody was willing to give up two first-round picks for Marcus Saul, I would have traded him yesterday. Yeah, but that's – I don't see Mark having that value. <laughs> You're very now right. Now teams know that the Grizzlies are desperate. The Grizzlies are desperate. And that's all assuming that even if you were in that stage of desperation and you wanted to start that tank, quote-unquote, do you really want Wallace at the helm of that? Is that something that you really want to see kind of be carried out? So to me, the best case scenario now that we are where we are is that they try to get back into the playoff hunt. And once the ownership things settle, once they hire a new coach, because I would imagine Bickerstaff uh, won't be the guy long-term, whatever their direction is, I don't see Wallace being a part of it long-term any longer. Uh, that's just me. I think that it just all needs to kind of be settled first. And if you had fired the head coach, fired the general manager, plus all the questions with ownership, you could have very easily seen not just the encore product, but the day-to-day ops of the organization kind of go haywire. Uh, again, I, I agree with you. Uh, unfortunately for the Grizzlies, Chris Wallace is the general manager uh, for the time being, but you you mentioned the tanking and and people I see I saw a lot of this in social media that uh, you know this is just a time to 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 let the season go. But you know a lot of people like you said a lot of those people don't understand they don't have a whole lot to left to go from. And, and as you mentioned, if they somehow forgot two first round picks from Marks, which they won't, I'm not sure Chris Wallace is the guy you want with two first round picks. Um, as his track record has shown, I don't think that that's the guy you want doing that. And I said this last year on one of our shows that we did last year that, uh, you know, at the end of the season, because we had such a terrible, you know, end of the season that you ought to be careful what you wish for, um, when you tank, because it's not easy tanking in, in the NBA. You could just be in a field of mediocrity forever. You know, I mean, you know, it's take, it takes teams a long time to get back to anything of relevance. So, I would encourage fans, if, if you think that tanking is a good thing, you should really take a long, hard look at all the other teams that have decided to do that or have been bad for a really long time and are probably still bad or just now getting good after seven, eight, nine years. Um, enjoy the playoffs while you get them. And if you can sneak into an eighth seed, you should definitely do that. I, I, I do want to move on. Though. I want to look forward. You know, we've we've talked about this, this, this uh, firing from, I think, every angle we can. So what are the Grizzlies – I think I mentioned this earlier today that I don't, I don't think J.B. Biggerstaff is going to win in too many games right off the bat because he just doesn't – I don't think it's – I don't. I never thought it was a Fizdale problem. I never really thought it was a Mark problem. I always thought it was a roster problem. I've said that, like, on numerous podcasts. I've wrote it. I mean, I just don't think they have the people. And I, I tweeted this earlier today that in the losing streak, uh, the Grizzlies have scored 777 points and um, they're five, you know, I think five or six role players or whatever you want to call them, secondary players have scored 148 of those points. I mean, it's just abysmal. They, they have no help beyond people like, you know, uh, Brooks, Gasol, Green, Tyreek, Chandler. I mean, beyond that, they don't have anybody that's going to help them. So where do the Grizzlies go from here? I think of the games with the Spurs, and then you have the Cleveland Cavaliers, and Cleveland is going to be pissed off. LeBron was one of the most vocal people about his boyfriend, they'll be let go. So I could see LeBron trying to go for 60 in that game. Uh, it, it's, it's going to be a tough start, a tough slog here. 
just not going to be clean. And you mentioned earlier about the, the anti-tank idea. It, it might naturally happen on its own because of this roster not being healthy. And I tweeted this out earlier this week because people were arguing that they should be 500 right now. Without Mike Conley, I don't see it. It's just not there. You, you talked about Dylan Brooks. Name a good NBA team. Because people like to imagine that the Grizzlies are a good NBA team. Right now, they're not. But we, we like to assume that the Grizzlies are a good NBA team. Name a good NBA team where Dylan Brooks and Mario Chalmers are starting. It's a long – it's a it's – a, it's Because a, they're not going to be a good NBA team if they're starters. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Name a, a good NBA team where Jarrell Martin and Deontay Davis are getting meaningful roster minutes. You can't because it doesn't exist. They don't have the personnel right now. No, you're you're right. As long as as long as um, you know, floor, then you're starting to see those minutes getting eaten up by actual NBA players who can actually contribute in a variety of ways. That's just not there right now. And like you said, I didn't see it as a Fisdale problem either. I think Fisdale's a victim of circumstance. He crossed Gasol and he lost. Uh, that that's kind of where Fisdale goes. Now, now you're in the place where Bickerstaff has to come in. And, and for me, I want to see better execution. I want to see the defensive switches be cleaner. I want to see more movement on offense. That's the stuff that I'm interested in. I could care less if they win any of these next three games. It'd be cool if they did. Trust me, I'd rather, you know, cover a two and one run. Oh my gosh, Bickerstaff's a brilliant than the likely 0-3 that's about to occur over these next three games. But at, at the same time, you have to be realistic. The Grizzlies just don't have the horses. And without Mike Conley, Mario Chalmers, bless his heart, he's a great story. He came back from his injury. He's clearly not what he was, and he's not a starting NBA point guard. Dylan Brooks, great story, doing so much more than any Grizzlies fan could have possibly expected. He's not a starting NBA wing. We have to have realistic expectations of what this team can do, considering the fact that Wayne Seldon is out and Ben McLemore missed an entire training camp and Chandler Parsons is still on minutes restriction and Conley's out and Conley obviously being the biggest piece. Without him, you're just not going to be that good. And people need to be honest about that. It just kind of is what it is. Victor Staff is coming into a tough spot. It's going to be on him to try to get this team at the very least, executing on a basic level better. Because during this losing streak, to me, that's been the biggest issue. Whether it's questionable rotations, like I said earlier, the ball movement, isolation, pick and rolls on offense, defensively the switches weren't clean. I want to see better execution out of whoever the heck takes the court for the Grizzlies. If they get smoked by the Spurs by 15, but Memphis plays better, it's just because the Spurs are that much better than them personnel-wise, I can live with that. The Grizzlies don't have their full deck of cards. But it's the lack of execution that, that really bothered me during this losing streak. And hopefully Bickerstaff can kind of turn that around. Uh, you're right. The, the execution has been has been horrendous. I mean, um, you know, I've been, I've been, I cover the games, and we have to all write recaps, and we have to write stuff about the team. We have to talk about the team. And, you know, you know this as well as I do. We can only say the defense is crappy so many different ways or the offense is struggling so many different ways. Um, the execution has, has been has been far from 
uh, far from even good. And I think that's probably one of my, you know, one of the major, you know, major criticism with Fizdale is I think, I don't know if he's implementing a defensive strategy that's just this team isn't ready for or they just couldn't quite get. I'm not sure what exactly it is, but um, there was a lot of people out of position and a lot of different times. I mean, even Marcus saw himself. I mean, he would just, there were a lot of games where I thought he would be, should be rotating and he wasn't. He, or he expected a weak side rotation and it just was, um, it was just weird. And I, I said this before, I said this last year that when the, when they tried to switch, they had really bad communication and they never could really do it last year. Which why they didn't, they didn't do it because they couldn't communicate clearly enough who was getting the switch. Um, and it feels like this year is still the same thing. They're still having that same problem. Um, so I'm be, I'm with you. I'll be very interested to see how JB Biggerstaff deals with that and frankly deals with this roster because it, for me, if you have people like Andrew Harrison and Jarrell Martin playing, anytime you're going to have them playing meaningful, meaningful minutes, you're probably not going to win games because that means you have a lot, either a bunch of people hurt or you have a really crappy roster. Uh, because they should not be playing in the NBA. They've had every ample opportunity to show that they belong here, and they don't. Um, and so for me, I, I th- it would be very interesting to see how J.B. Bickerstaff does, you know, right off the bat, how he changes things, if he changes things, how the rotations uh, are, are different from whether whether last week. Um, and I think we all said it in the offseason, and going in, everybody who covered this team said it in the offseason going into the season, and like you just said uh, in your answer, if Mark and Mike aren't healthy, uh, there's not a whole lot of – if one of those guys goes down, there's not a whole lot of hope. We said in, in the summer that you know they were so reliant on those two guys that if something happened, God help them, that this team would lose a lot of games. And Mike Conley hasn't been good all year. He, he's been dealing with a lot of injuries. Even when he was playing, he was dealing with pain. So he hasn't been good all year. And this team's not been good all year. Um but I, I want to wrap up with you, and I want to talk about a little bit about just the roster construction. Um, who do you see, or who do who do you think has to step up and start scoring the basketball more, start providing a spark on offense that we probably haven't seen, or, or I guess who do you think that who do you think had that hasn't been playing well could actually play better for this team? That, that's a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> I bring the hard hitters there. There's just not. You know, I'm sorry to be Debbie Downers to the listeners, but there's just not a ton there. I, I, Marcus Saul is struggling, but but I think you see his regression as a player in the struggling. He just can't carry an offense anymore. He can't carry a team. That doesn't mean that he's a, not a good basketball player. He's a very good basketball player, but he's not a number one guy. I mean, you can make an argument he was never a number one guy, but he certainly isn't one now, and I think the numbers kind of reflect that. Now maybe Mark comes out and he dominates now because he's out of the, the shadow and, and the smoke of the Fisdale issues. That's may, maybe a, a cloud will be lifted. But you know Mark has been a, a major contributor to this team struggling because he hasn't been able to score. Mark has to be better. I think Tyreek Evans needs to be better. He was setting the world on fire earlier in the year. The last few games of this losing streak, he's cooled off considerably. You can't expect him to score 25 points a game, but you need him to be that consistent 13, 15, 16 point efficiently scoring, not just volume scoring, you know, 15 points on 16 shots. It needs to be efficient scoring. You need Chandler Parsons out there. That, you know, I've, I've been given a hard time for being a, a Parsons supporter, but when you invest so much money in him, 
when you invest so much effort to try to get him healthy, you need him to be a contributor. Uh, he needs to be able to score. He needs to be able to facilitate. You need Ben McLemore to be able to make baskets. Marcus All can't do it alone. Mario Chalmers can't be a, a, a black hole of offense. You have to be able to recreate Mike Conley in the aggregate. And they're not able to do that with the personnel they have right now. They need Parsons and Tyreek to step up. To me, those are the two that if you hope to win games right now, especially these next few, to try to pick off the Spurs or find a way to beat the Cavaliers, you're going to need Parsons and Evans to have massive nights. Because, again, Mike Conley's not walking through that door, at least not for the time being. And outside of Marcus All, these other guys are either coming off of injuries, have never been good NBA players before, or they never were supposed to be in the situation that they are. There's just a ton of guys outside of roles right now. It's not going to be clean. It's not going to be pretty. You can make a real argument that this team could be 10 and 8, you know, 10 and 19 here in these next few weeks. And now you're getting to a point where if Conley is still struggling with an injury, well, do you shut him down? Do you just say forget it and, and kind of punt the season? That'll probably make the trade rumors of Gasol a little bit hotter. It, it, it's really kind of a turning point for this Grizzlies year, and not to credit the Grizzlies front office because I still think it was a rash decision, but, but not necessarily a rash decision. Again, there's so much that is never going to fully be out there about this. The relationship between Fizdale and Gasol was toxic, that sort of thing. So you can argue either way whether or not he should have been fired. But, but now that the, the job has been done, like you said, the fact remains that this team still is not very good in terms of the talent that's on the roster. And until health comes for the Memphis Grizzlies, it's not going to really matter who the coach is. They're just going to maybe get more competitive because they'll execute better, but it's still going to be too little, too late, or, or not enough, or good, good fight, good effort. At whatever cliche you want to use, they're not going to be able to get the job done against the best teams in the NBA because they simply don't have the pieces. Yeah, I I would tend to probably agree with you. I know that you, I think you and I and probably a few other people have been in this uh, in the Chandler Parsons weeds for over a year now. Uh, it's lonely sometimes, but uh, we get through it. Uh, Chandler Parsons might be the hill I have to die on, unfortunately, this year. But uh, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm with you. I'd like to see him play better. I mean, I'm encouraged by what I've seen this year. Uh, but the two people I look at that have been not good at all, you know, is James. Well, James Ennis was good at the first part of the year, but James Ennis and Ben McLemore. And those are two people that you thought at the beginning of the year were going to be heavy contributors to your offense. Uh, maybe not so much your defense from McLemore, but for Ennis, he was supposed to be the two-way guy that you counted on. And so I'm hopeful for, for them this coaching change uh, will spark something in them to where they're a much better player for this team. I think those are the two guys, um, you know, in your secondary role players, you have to look to uh, to to score the basketball, to be better basketball players, to make this you know to to make these te- this team win. So um, that's my thoughts. Uh, but we'll, I have to wrap up. We're running out of time. So I just want to you know huge shout out to Joe. Thank you so much for coming by and and talking basketball, getting us through this uh, this coaching firing and and. Telling us what it all means, man. I appreciate it. Happy to do it anytime, Mark. You're doing a great job for us at GBB. You know, and I want to give a shout-out to our staff. Uh, I am very fortunate to work with very talented people like Mark. 
you know, technically I'm the boss, site manager, or whatever, but I do view it as a team. Uh, I think our roundtables that we put out are great evidence of the fact that, that we have some of the better talented, more passionate folks that follow this team that are fans uh, out there. You know, I'm proud to, to say that I steer the ship, and it's because of guys like you, Mark. So thank you for the work you do. Thanks for this podcast. I'm happy to do it anytime. Thanks, man. I appreciate you coming by. That's Joe Mullenix, uh, site manager for Gritsy Bear Blues, my boss over at GBB, a great guy and has a lot of really good features. Um, he we've, we've put out so much content in the past few days because of uh, what's happened. So uh, head over to grizzlybearblues.com. Check it out. Um, I know I've got a couple articles up there, and so does Joe. So check those out. Uh, and, and you know, tweet at us on, uh, on Twitter and, and talk to us and tell us what you think. Uh, you can always follow me at King underscore producer and Joe at Joe Mullinix. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, it, it's a weird thing for the Grizzlies to have pulled the trigger so fast. It, it is a weird thing for, uh, to, for Mark to have said what he said and for Fizdale to have said what he said. And then literally not even 24 hours later, um, be in a situation where they're promoting a, a, a assistant coach, a head coach They're uh, it's very, it's just a strange, strange world we live in. And I mentioned this earlier and I want to go back to it that I never thought it was a, a Fizdale problem. I never thought it was a Mark problem. I have always thought it's a roster problem as is currently constructed uh, because they just don't have, they just don't have the people, whether it's injury or whether it's, like I said, James Ennis or Ben McLemore not living up to what they were supposed to be. Or whether it's just like someone like Drill Martin, who's had the opportunity, or someone like Andrew Harrison, who's had the opportunity and just shown that don't they don't belong on on an NBA level, and really just you know they're not going to be able to do it against uh, people that are inferior competition as as on the bench unit, um, then they just they don't deserve the opportunity. So you know, it, I think for right now the Grizzlies, it's obviously going to be a it's obviously going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Um, I, I would be surprised in the next 10 games that they won one or two. Um, it, it, it's definitely going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, and just because you have, you know, you typically have this honeymoon period with a new coach and players typically play harder because they might think they have a new role. Uh, new coaches think differently about different players and they, you might get more minutes if you play harder. So usually there is that, that honeymoon period for the coach, but I still don't think it's going to matter for JB Bickerstaff. I don't think it's going to matter at all because even if there is a honeymoon period, if you just don't have the players, if you don't have good players, um, then you, it's just not going to matter. And so for JB, I, I hope that uh, it turns around for people like James Ennis and Ben McLemore. Those are the type of players you need to contribute more on offensive, on the offensive end every night. And, and people like Mario Chalmers as well. Mario Chalmers hasn't been doing great or hasn't been doing terrible every night but there's some nights he just he just looks lost he looks terrible there's turn, turnovers after turnovers so Mario Chalmers has to be consistent from night to night he has to be consistently good he doesn't have to be Mike Conley he doesn't have to score an offensive explosion every night but he has to be consistently good he has to be able to take care of the ball as the point guard get into the get into the sets he's supposed to get into get the ball into the certain spots he's supposed to get it into and run the team. He doesn't, like I said, he doesn't have to be Mike Conley. And I think he's trying to be Mike Conley. It doesn't have to be Mike Conley. He's never going to be Mike Conley. Um, and he just has to be himself. And he just has to, like I said, run the team efficiently. And then you have to be, you have to have people like Chandler Parsons to go out and get you buckets. 
Um, hopefully, we'll see him continue to get more minutes. Uh, I've been encouraged by what I've seen by Chandler Parsons, but he still needs to be more. He needs to be dropping 16, 17, 18 points a game to really provide that extra offensive spark the Grizzlies are going to need, especially with Mike out. Because like Joe said, Mark is not your number one guy. Never has been. Never will be. Mark's not that guy. He He's just not. And the the, more, the sooner you realize that that's not who Mark is, the better off you'll feel about him. Mark's a really good basketball player. He's a great basketball player. But he's not a high-volume guy. He's not a, he's not a number one go-to guy. That's just not who he is. He's never been like that and will never be like that. Every time that we have asked or everybody has asked him to be in that situation or be in that number one role, he just can't do it or he's either shied away from it or he just doesn't want to do it. So asking Mark to do that is not going to work for you. Unfortunately for him, that's where we're at right now. And he's going to have to do something in the next 10, 20 games while Mike Conley is out to get this game, get this team some wins. So, you know, those people are the ones you're going to have to look to. You're going to mark Marcus All and Chandler Parsons, provided everything's good with his knee and he's healthy, to get this team where they need to go. Uh, but anyway, thanks thanks for listening to the show today. That That's all we have. Thanks for thanks again. Thanks to Joe, site manager at GBB, for coming on. Uh, great dude. You can always follow me at King underscore producer. You can always follow the show at 3IndyPod. Always go to the iTunes feed, subscribe in the iTunes feed. And uh, leave us a review. It'll help the sh- it'll help the show. It will uh, help us get more listeners. So we will see you guys on Thursdays. The next recording of the podcast we'll have and we'll, we'll record on Thursday. Release the show th- probably late Thursday night and then Friday morning. Talk to you next week. Uh-huh.